following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Compassionate Life with Dr. Brittany King. In this hour, you'll hear stories about kindness, selflessness, and of course, compassion. The hope is that you'll be inspired to create some compassionate moments of your very own. Now, here is Dr. Brittany King. Hi, I'm Dr. King. Thanks for joining us this week. You're listening to Voice of America's Empowerment Channel, and this is The Compassionate Life. This week, we're actually going to bring it back to uh, our my very own profession, veterinary medicine. So we'll be speaking pet all this hour. Um, we have two guests, and others are welcome to call in. Dr. Catherine Powell, and she works with me at the Montrose Veterinary Clinic in Houston. And then we have Dr. Tina Hahn, and she has her own mobile veterinary practice called My Doorstep Vet. And we'll be speaking with her today, too. So thank you, ladies, for joining us. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thanks. <laughs> well, so, um, and, and Dr. Hahn, you actually have done relief work for Montrose Vet Clinic. I'm kind of the new, one of the newer ones to join the clinic about a year and a half ago or so, but you, you did do some relief work at Montrose, right? Yes, I did, actually. Um, Dr. Powell and I go way back, and um, when I was just a um, fledgling layperson thinking about going to veterinary school, I basically walked into Montrose Vet Clinic, and Dr. Powell had just graduated vet school, and she took me under her wing like a, you know, <laughs> like a mother bird, and um, basically, um, you know, helped me to see what veterinary medicine was all about. So um, when I graduated, um, I worked in the north part of Houston, but then when I started to do relief work, which is, um, for those of you who don't know, it's basically like being a substitute teacher, so you fill in at different clinics um, whenever there's a need. Um, Actually, when Dr. Powell went on maternity leave, I filled in at at Montrose, and so, yes, I was there for quite some time regularly, and I think um, we just didn't cross paths, Dr. King. But, um, but yeah, I did do a, a stint back at, at the Montrose, which, which was a really um, nice way to um, go back. It sort of um, was where I, I, my interest in veterinary medicine began. So um, going back there was, was really great. And that's, I mean, that's actually really inspiring that, I mean, you worked there and then, and then had a mentor um, and then were able to go through vet school and then come back and visit. And how, how long have you had your mobile clinic for and what's, well, what sparked that? I mean, there's, we'll probably touch on this, this entire hour, but our profession is so diverse. You can do a whole lot um, for our listeners. You can work in a standalone clinic. You can work in a corporate environment. You can work in academia. You can work in the government. And then now one of the more po- or newer age things is to have a mobile clinic um, that provides services to people that can't you know, physically get to a clinic. Um, so yeah, so circling back to your question, how long have you had my doorstep vet? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually, it's a really new business. So I actually just started it less than six months ago. So I started it in April. And um, what I started noticing just, you know, I've always been in the traditional brick and mortar practice. And um, even when I was an associate and then as I moved on to doing relief work, um, I just started noticing that there was a segment of the pet population out there and a segment of the people out there that really um, would benefit from a home visit. So that can mean... Um, someone who's in a retirement home or someone who um, is in a wheelchair or someone who's who's challenged to actually get in a car and bring their pet to the veterinarian. Um, home visit is a great way. And then you have the needs of the pets. So I started noticing that um, a lot of my patients, dogs and cats alike, um, would be so stressed out in the clinic that it was, it was not only stressful for the pet, it was stressful for the owner, it's stressful for the veterinarian, for the staff, because you're trying to do everything you can to relieve their anxiety um, that I started seeing that, you know, these pets might be better served in a home environment. Um, and then especially there's a huge cat population out there that I think just don't get regular veterinary care because it's too hard for the owners to, you know, catch them and then shove them in this carrier, endure the car ride, you know, they're meowing, they're upset, and then get to the clinic, They, you know, all the dogs, everything around, go through the exam, then get them back, you know, everyone always says, I'm sure every, I'm sure you all can relate when clients are like, oh, yeah, the only time they go in their, their carrier willingly is at the end of a vet appointment, <laughs> which is right. true. true. <laughs> and... Um, you know, and then they go home, and then I hear, you know, oh, so they went into hiding for a day. You know, they were mad at me, you know, this, that, and the other. So um, right. that's where a home visit can really be beneficial. Um, and so that's kind of what what started it. Um, and, um, and then for personal reasons, too, you know, raising a family, having some flexibility in, in controlling my work schedule um, was appealing to me, too. Um, but it is a brand new business, so I just sort of started it, and um, um, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. You know, I think it's, I mean, you made some really good points there as, as far as what we'll see that comes into the clinic. And, I mean, let's take one disease, for instance, um, you know, when we're trying to look at a, a well, a cat in specific, you know, specifically uh, species-wise, and we're, you know, questioning diabetes or when they have a falsely elevated blood sugar or temperature because they're so stressed out coming into the clinic and then being able to take, um, you know, not just for people that lack transport or or the physical nature of of being able to get the pet into the clinic, but actually um, being able to better serve the the pet actually in the home too. So um, I think, do you have, how, how does it work for um, like a technician side of things? Do you, you have help with you? I do. Yeah. So I have a technician that travels with me and um, we basically, you know, it, it requires a lot of creativity. (laughs) So, you know, being able to go into someone's personal space and then, quickly looking to see, okay, well, where can we do the exam? You know, where do we set up? How do we 
um, you know, I basically travel with everything that I need. So let's say we're doing um, basic annual services. Um, so I bring with me my vaccines. Well, I have to think about um, how do we keep those vaccines cool enough um, so that um, they're viable. So um, making sure that they're transported safely. And then, you know, I travel with all the tools that we all use in a brick-and-mortar practice. So something to look at the ears, something to look at the eyes. Um, if I need to take samples or cytologies, I do that. The only difference is that I have to read those at home because I don't travel with my microscope. I leave that at the house. Um, right. And so, but I am able to take all the samples I need and do all those diagnostics. And then it's looking at, okay, where do we draw blood? Um, you know, where do we place the pet if it's a cat? Um, um, you know, how do we position them? Um, ooh, we can use this table surface or this counter surface. I think um, mm-hmm. my very first um, cat that I saw when I started the mobile work, you know, we did it on, um, I have a very good client, and we did it on her her kitchen island. And, <laughs> you know, I, was, if I wasn't prepared for it to be slick. You know, I put a towel down, but, you know, towels slide on like a granite surface. And at that time, you know, now I travel with a little cut-up yoga mat that I stick down first, and then I put the towel on top so it doesn't slide around. So here we have this cat. He's, like, sliding around, and, you know, I'm trying to get the back leg, and I get it, but then the tube overfills, and I pull out the vacutainer, and then blood just squirts. I mean, it just, like, squirts on her granite countertop. And, of course, we're using a white towel so then there's like red oh no so I mean we just had to laugh and luckily my client was so understanding and um but you know you learn along the way (laughs) you learn sort of okay you know let's do it this way let's do it that way this is um better but but I will say that that you know even for cats that clients will tell me are untouchable at the clinic um have to be sedated or they are just so roughed up. Um, they may, they may, you know, make a little grouchy noise here and there. But what? But the difference is, once we're done, they. It's like I don't know. For them being in their own home, um, they don't just like run off and dart. They um, are fine, and they um, reappear quickly thereafter. And, and the owners are always surprised, like, "Oh wow, you know, usually she hides for like a day." Um, right. But here she is, like walking about in her in her home. So, um, so it's nice. That's interesting. I I've, I always uh, laugh because I find that when 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 people bring cats in, um, they have one of two reactions: either the cat is completely petrified with fear and will let us do whatever we need to do, and they'll be yeah. like, "How did you know? I can't trim his nails at home, or." I can't do that at home. You won't let me do that because he's so petrified with fear or they're enraged and try to kill us. Mm -hmm. So I think there's such a huge need for mobile practice, particularly for cats. Um, I know there's a statistic out there. I don't know it off the top of my head, but I know I've read that, you know, there's a percentage, a very large percentage of cats that are typically indoor-only cats and they do not go to the veterinarian until they're older and sick. And, um, you know, I I think there's so much that we can learn just on a physical exam of a cat, not not necessarily even giving them vaccines or doing blood work. And, you know, 
early on uh, with different diseases, you know, and I think it's so important for a cat to have a yearly exam, and a lot of them don't. And then by the time the owner will finally bring them into the veterinarian, they've been sick for a week and they've lost half their body weight and, you know, it might be too late. Yeah. You're so right, Catherine. And it's, and oftentimes, like, I've been seeing new clients where they're saying, well, my cat hasn't been to the vet in three or four years because, um, you know, he hates the carrier. And, and it's tough because then I've, you know, I've lost all that data, all that information that I'll track, like their weight or their heart rate, you know, um, or their temperature or how their eyes look or how their skin looks um, or how they're moving, you know. Um, all of that information is just you, you start with nothing. And, um, and you're absolutely right in that, you know, early detection is, is the key to so many of these kitties because they don't... Um, they don't like to show that they're ill until oftentimes it is is pretty far gone. Right. No. They're very good at that. Right. And then, I mean, those are both excellent points. And then being able to see um, the feline patients more regularly, starting at an early age, you know, even after those first kitten exams, that is how we track the data. Um, interestingly enough, our clinic at Montrose Vet Clinic um, we are looking at a, cat, a, a separate cat ward, which is another kind of idea and concept, so that it's not at, as terrible of an experience as it can be for a cat to get in a carrier and travel in a car if they're going to a separate cat ward where, mm-hmm. um, I mean, literally, that's what we're hoping to do is have only the feline patients over there um, to where that they can be in a more calm environment and they're not stressed walking through the door. And their very first visits from very early on are um, what sets them up in their behavior for a lot of the future visits. So I think that's, um, I think veterinary medicine, we really, really are changing to try to understand, I mean, speak pet, quote unquote, and understand the different needs of the different species in there. Uh, we, we joke about it. We know the term, a, a cat is not a small dog, um, <laughs> <laughs> but that being a, a specific so need. Mm-hmm. So, That's fantastic. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I, you know, it's it's. Um, I think it's always great for brick and mortar practices to have, you know, to be cat friendly and to really do, you know, go that extra step to make that stress as as low as possible. And it it really benefits everybody. It's easier mm-hmm. for the veterinarian to work on them. It's um, so much easier on the cat, and and thus it's so much easier on the owner. Um, and so it's it's. I think that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah, and I think I mean, and then it and then it helps benefit because I'm I'm sure Dr. Han, like you will see um, pets that are going to need hospitalization or IV fluids, um, which we may we can talk about in our next segment. But you may you know partnering within those brick and mortar practices for those types of overnight care or, or more extended support when they're at that disease state. Um, so well, we are actually Absolutely. do we're. We're going to take a quick little two-minute break, and we'll be right back um, to speak more with Dr. Han and Dr. Powell about veterinary medicine. Thanks so much. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Do you feel alone trying to conquer life's challenges? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, 
Host April Joy Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to discover the powerful you. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and other such curveballs. She'll help you get empowered holistically every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who've turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to The Compassionate Life. To reach Dr. Brittany King or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to brittanyking.swimbet at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And we're back. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're speaking everything pet today and veterinary medicine related. I'm Dr. King. This is The Compassionate Life on Voice America's Empowerment Channel. And we've been speaking with Dr. Han and Dr. Powell, colleagues. Um, the veterinary world, if you haven't gathered so far, is very small. We tend to run across paths with... Um, Everybody and different colleagues all over pretty frequently. So um, Dr. Han was talking about her mobile practice. And on our last segment, we talked about how if there was an ill patient, you know, what's the next step there? So um, Dr. Han, what happens then if you, I mean, if there is um, a cat or, or, or a dog or whatever that you find that really does need that extended care, how do you approach that? Sure. Yeah. Great question, Dr. King. Um, so, you know, one of the things um about doing mobile work, at least the type of mobile work that I do, which is more house call based rather than a um, what I call the clinic on wheels. So rather than it being a full service van, um, I, it's limited in what I can handle, and, and I make sure clients understand um, what we can and what we can't do, and, and really what we shouldn't be doing in a, in a home environment. So um, anything that would require sedation or anesthesia or any imaging. Um, that needs to be done at a at a brick and mortar practice. So, um, let's say we have a, a a patient that calls and and um, or have an owner that calls and says that her dog is um, vomiting and having diarrhea and not feeling well. Um, I can triage that on the phone a lot of times, um, and I can make recommendations. Well, in, in this case, this is something that you really are going to need to to go to a brick and mortar practice to get evaluated. Here's what to expect. Here's what and here's what I would think, think you know, the veterinarian is going to do. Um, and I really, um, I really stress the importance of them taking them in um, because there are certain scenarios that really need to be handled. You need all of the bells and whistles that a place like Montrose Vet Clinic could, um, could handle um, that, that I'm just not, you know, in a house home environment, we're just not equipped to be able to do that. So, um, 
In fact, just the other day, I had a, um, a patient, a little cavalier, King Charles puppy, that was having some diarrhea. It was progressing. We managed it at home medically, but he just wasn't getting better. And um, during my second exam, I started feeling and feeling, and, um, and there was a, a possibly suspicious little area um, on palpation that I thought, you know, this is a puppy. Potentially, could he have eaten anything? Um, the history didn't really suggest that that was the case, but it's a puppy, and um, and if if I were seeing this in a in a clinic setting, I would um, definitely recommend X-rays. And so I talked to the client, and I explained, listen, here's where we're at. We've tried some medical therapy. We're not getting to where we need to be. It still could be medically treated, but but if there's a potential that there's something that that we need to know sooner rather than later and we need to take an x-ray, then we need to get that done. And, um, and so she did. So she took her dog to, the, to a clinic near her, um, got an x-ray done. I had called ahead. I let them know. I sent records over. I use electronic records, so it's very easy to get things back and forth. Um, luckily, it was not. The, the stomach was clear. The intestines were clear. There wasn't any issue of a foreign body. Um, and then we were able to proceed back with our medical treatment um, with the knowledge of knowing, okay, this is just going to take a little bit extra time than we typically see, but we don't need to be worried that um, there needs to be some sort of surgical intervention. So um, it's it's really a, a case where I have to be able to work very well with with the nearby clinics and calling them, letting them know, hey, I'm sending this over, um, here are the records, you know, here's what I found, here's what I think um, probably next steps would be, and then they're under the care of that vet clinic, and then, you know, depending on what is found out, if there's follow-up that needs to be done at home, then I can take over from there. That's important um, to be able to, I mean, I think a lot of it comes back to uh, the same theme at at our brick and mortar practices being the client communication and um, using your veterinary knowledge, but then being able to, you know, fully communicate that with a client that, you know, there's a potential for something advanced and here's what we can do to investigate it. Um, Some people can't choose to investigate it, um, but being able to have that flexibility and um, I think, I mean, so much of it is, and I, and I have heard this not just to, say that, you know, veterinary medicine is, I I love veterinary medicine, but I I do feel we, kind of the theme of this, I mean, this whole show has been the compassionate life. We are more in contact with our clients on a day-to-day basis from blood work results to um, what the next step is to how can we go from plan A to plan B if the gold standard plan is not within the budget um, and, and things like that. And I think we try very hard um, with that from a profession. And then, you know, you being able to at least have the peace of mind and that owner to have the peace of mind after you were able to send the puppy to, you know, discover it's not a foreign body. It doesn't need surgery. We just need to carry on with, with further treatment, just adjusting the plan a bit. So, um that's that that's really great that you have that partnership and our profession shares a partnership. I mean I think we all we really all are colleagues and mentioning that small world again. So um do you do any outreach? Um Dr. Powell does a lot for our clinic as far as spay, neuter, trap release. Um do you do any of those types of things? 
I, um, I've been working with a um, doggy daycare that does a lot of rescue work with certain rescue groups. Um, and so I've been helping out over there about once a week. And so just depending on what the rescue group brings in, then I'll be sort of um, vetting those dogs out um, and sort of, um, you know, figuring out, okay, where they're at. They were pulled from park or they were found off the street. Um, you know, what are we, you know, where are we in terms of um, what's the current health state of this rescue and, and what my recommendations are. Um, but now I know uh, Dr. Powell does quite a bit with um, with her rescue work. And, um, and I mean, I'd love to hear some more about it, too, as um. well. Um, but... Um, but I don't do at this point. I'm not. I don't really have um, the facilities to be able to do any um, significant anesthesia or procedures or you know um, spays and neuters and things like that. Yeah. Don't worry, Doctor Hahn. I'll get you traveling around town, <laughs> setting traps pretty soon. I know, and we'll start working together. No, basically, just to educate everyone on what's called TNR. It stands for trap, neuter, release, and it's basically in the feline community. Um, you know, my passion, I've always had a passion for rescue work, but, you know, you can't do everything for free because you have to make money somehow. Um, and so I found um, that there was an elderly couple in my neighborhood who started feeding a couple of cats about three years ago, and within two years, a couple of cats turned into 40 cats. <laughs> um, literally 40 cats. Yeah. Oh, wow. uh-huh. So, um, you know, uh, instead of, you know, seeing them die of, you know, horrible things like being hit by cars and things like that, I decided to kind of start this TNR in my neighborhood. And it's, it's, it's honestly kind of a, war, a nationwide movement. Um, they didn't used to encourage TNR, and they used to basically, they meaning, communities, shelters, veterinarians, you know, if you found a stray cat that didn't have a home that was feral or wild, um, you basically take it to the shelter and they would euthanize it because it wasn't, you weren't able to go to home, you wanted to get it off the street, you didn't want it to reproduce, and that was the solution. And so um, um, people started getting into this TNR where they would literally trap cats in humane traps and get them neutered, get them rabies vaccinated, um, spayed if they're females, notch the ear, meaning cut the tip off of typically the left ear. And I'll talk about that in a minute. It sounds horrible, but it's basically to indicate that this is a cat that has been vaccinated. If you see a cat with the tip of their ear missing, it typically means that they have been altered, they have been vaccinated, and mm-hmm. that they're just wild and um, kind of leave them alone. Don't bother them. Um, but so we started this in the community and work with a bunch of really great uh, people who, who will go from colony to colony and um, try to get the feral cat population, you know, under control in this way rather than just euthanizing all of these cats. So it's been, it's been a really rewarding experience. I've, um, probably uh, helped over 50 cats in the last two years, and I've probably, you know, gotten 
about 40 kittens off the street and found great homes for them. So it's been wonderful. Yay! <laughs> it is, awesome. I mean, seriously, for the cause for, you know, celebration, I mean, it's, it, it's a, it's a noble, it's another noble part of our profession, um, you know, th- that you're passionate about rescue work and um, the the alternative. I mean, we have, and there's statistics of, you know, millions of pets that are euthanized, you know, every day beca- or, or every year, sorry, because they can't, yeah. we don't find homes for them. Um, but being able to, you know, that's a calling that spoke to you and you've taken that initiative on, I mean, and not, and you know, starting in your local environment, but it spreading um, is really, I mean, it's humbling and it's, it's inspirational. Um, And I think, yeah, I would like to talk more about it. We're going to take another quick break here and we'll be back in about two minutes um, to talk more about, you know, how you can get involved in that in your own community. But um, those signs that Dr. Powell mentioned too are really important to, you know, know and look for that not all wild animals are wild and they haven't been vaccinated. I mean, these ones with the notched ears typically have been vaccinated and they've been spayed or neutered and, you know, that's okay to leave them alone. So... Um, Okay, we'll be right back after this quick break. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Women in sport has come a long way in a reasonably short time. In the 1950s, most women's sport was casual, recreational competition, followed by snacks or a light lunch. Today, women's sport is competitive, powerful, and in the mainstream. Whether it's collegiate, Olympics, or professional leagues, tune in to Women and Sport, The Long Road Up, where you'll discover the path that women's sport has taken over the past 50 years and more. Featuring your host, Carol A. Oglesby. Listen Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America. Empowerment. You are listening to The Compassionate Life. To reach Dr. Brittany King or her guest today, please call into our program at 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or send an email to brittanyking.swimvet at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Thanks. We're back for the second half of our hour of talking about veterinary medicine. And Dr. Powell is just talking about her community outreach um, that she leads within her own um, spay, trap, neuter, release program that she really headed up and then has uh, brought over to our Montrose Vet Clinic. Um, Dr. Powell, if people want to do this in their local environment, their local community, what's the best way they can um, find those resources? Yeah, you know, I have people ask me all the time, I've got these cats, they're living under my house, and they have kittens by the year, what can I do? And really, it just takes a little bit of effort um, on their part. 
but um, humane traps are very inexpensive. Um, you could probably buy one for about $40 at your hardware store. You can get them on Amazon um, or uh, a lot of the local shelters and humane societies will actually rent them out to people um, because they, they want people to be trapping and staying as well so that their shelters don't get as full. And um, it's pretty easy to trap a feral cat as, as long as they're hungry. I they get some sardines, put it in the trap, put it out at either dawn or dusk. And um, a lot of the local animal shelters, humane societies, have feral cat programs instilled into their um, program where they provide either free spays and neuters and rabies vaccines or discounted spays and neuters and rabies vaccines. So I always urge people, you know, um, start calling around to your humane society, to your um, local animal shelters, and find out what kind of programs they have for feral cats so that you can start trapping and getting them over there and getting them fixed and releasing them. And it's a matter of honestly taking them over in the morning and picking them up in the evening keeping the cat in the cage, covered with a towel, in a safe mm-hmm. place at night, and then releasing them the next day. Um, and that's all you have to do because, honestly, one female cat can have well over 12 kittens a year. And then both kittens will have kittens twice to three times a year. So it can happen so fast. And the sooner that people can stay and neuter these feral cats, the less of a problem we're going to have on our hands. Yeah, right. I mean, and you mentioned too, I mean, the rabies vaccine. So I, I wanted to touch on, you know, both of your perspectives too on, so rabies is a, a zoonotic disease, which is a disease that um, basically is transmissible to humans from um, from an animal. And there, there are other ones, but that's why it is really important to um, keep the, uh, you know, the feral population. We have we have an overwhelming amount. Our shelters can't even support where we're at right now. But um, every potential, you know, feral animal like that has the um, the ability to spread zoonotic diseases, and, and rabies is is one of them. But then we have other things like hookworms and roundworms. Um, what do you think, I think public health is, and this One Health, One Medicine kind of topic is, is really important and hot, and, and we talk about these diseases as they mutate from, you know, hum, or animal into human and viruses and, and things like that. Um, maybe, Dr. Powell, we'll start with you. Like, what do you think your role is on a day-to-day basis um, as far as educating the public and, and the clients that you see? Um, how often do we see things like hookworms and roundworms um, and ringworm um, and all that? Actually, we see, we see all of those things pretty frequently, particularly in puppies and kittens and, and, and stray animals. Um, hookworms and roundworms can both be carried um, by other wildlife. Um, so can ringworm. And, um, you know, I think the biggest uh, challenge is to, is trying to get that under control, obviously. Um, you know, keep your kids' shoes on when they're outside. Don't let them run around in the playground because if they step on, you know, cat poop in the playground from a stray cat, uh, they can get hookworms. Um, yeah. So I think 
again, it's so important um, to come in and get your animals checked every year, get their fecal sample checked for these parasites, you know, let the veterinarian look at their coat, make sure they don't have ringworm, um, because particularly anyone that is young or immune-suppressed, maybe an elderly person, maybe an HIV-positive person, or someone with an immune disease, um, they're going to be very susceptible to these things. We still see cases of rabies in Houston. Now, I haven't seen one at our clinic. Um, mm-hmm. There was one at Texas A&M when I was in vet school there. Uh, I think it was around the year 2000. We had a litter of kittens that came in that were rabies positive, and it was terrifying. Uh, because rabies will kill you. There is no cure for it. You don't live through it. And um, that's why I think um, it's also important uh, to rabies vaccinate these stray cats that are, that are running around everywhere. Absolutely. Do you, how often do you, um, Dr. Hahn, see, I mean, you, you mentioned you'll take samples and, and go back and evaluate them. Do you see, I mean, I would imagine, too, with a mobile clinic, you might be seeing more elderly or immunosuppressed type people that are going to be at more risk of, as a population. Um, do, you, do you deal a lot with your role in public health? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, so... You know, we do, so I'm, I'm able to sort of collect um, all your regular routine samples that, that um, people are accustomed to doing when they're, when they're taking their dog or cat to the vet clinic. And, and oftentimes I'm getting a better, uh, I'm probably getting a, a better compliance because I'm at their house, so I can go to the little box <laughs> and I can get yeah, a sample. That's true. <laughs> um, that's I can true. go to their backyard and get a fresh poop sample, you know. So, um, so there isn't a delay in, oh, bring this poop sample back, you know, and, and a lot of people just um, are so busy they just don't get to it. So um, we're there. We're able to, to do the dirty work, so to speak, and get our samples. Um, and, I, you know, I follow the CAPC um, guidelines, which is the, um, it's the Companion Animal Parasite Council, which puts together guidelines on on what we should be looking for in our companion animals, and and one of the things that I I do stress, and a lot of times people sometimes I get some pushback because people are like, well, you know, I'm used to only doing this once a year, but I do conduct fecal testing twice a year, and the reason why I do that is because of public health, um, because so many. Um, and I'm working primarily in a neighborhood where there's lots of kids, there's lots of families, um, and in a neighborhood with a lot of stray animals, dogs and cats that run around. So all of these things are transmissible. We have raccoons running around. Um, and the best news that I can tell you is to say that your that your pet's um, fecal test came back clean. Um, but... If it doesn't come back clean, um, which does happen, um, then we need to address it, and we need to make sure that they're on a preventative that contains a heart that contains a dewormer, or that you know we are um, prophylactically and actively deworming your pet. Um, just to kind of give you an example, I had a just a re- routine semi-annual exam on a healthy young dog. Right, no problems. Everything's great. Um, you know he's pooping regularly, eating regularly, happy as a clam, and um, and so I do my routine check and get a fresh fecal sample from him. Well, the next day, the owner was traveling to Japan for a vacation, like for two weeks, 
And so he told me that, you know, um, his dog was going to be at this um, doggy kennel daycare um, for a while he was gone. So I'm like, great. You know, and, and even in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, there, I have no index of suspicion that there's going to be anything wrong with this with this dog, but I'm doing mm-hmm. my, you know, I stick to my guidelines, I stick to my protocol. Lo and behold, that fecal sample came back positive for hookworms. And that was a fresh sample that I had actually obtained rectally, meaning it wasn't something that was just sitting out out in the yard. So it it came from that dog. Well, um, you know, dad was on a plane to Japan. So um, here I am like, oh, my gosh, like I have got to get this doggy dewormer because now he's at a doggy daycare. And now there are. Um, there's the potential for that spreading to all these other dogs that are okay. that are there at that facility. So, um, so I rushed over the dewormer to that doggy daycare, and <laughs> I'm sure the workers thought I was a little bit, <laughs> a little bit high trying. I was like, "You must give me dewormer. Are you now? No, right? so who's going to take it back? No, it has to go to Max right now." <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> And, you know, I emailed the owner and I told him, hey, listen, this was, you know, it, it was surprising, but this is what we found and here's what, you know, we did and, and everything. So um, I tell that story just to let people know that, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, why are you running? You know, this is my vet's running this test. It's always coming back negative. You know, there's never, I don't really see the point in it. But it's it's good when it comes. <laughs> it's a good thing for it to come back negative. You want it to come back negative. And you have to understand that there's always that potential in our environment for these guys to pick things up. And you would you would have no idea. You don't have microscopic eyesight. You don't you know, you don't know what's there unless you look for it. That's interesting. I had a client who um whose dog ended up getting a horrible hookworm infection and she was giving a very good monthly preventative, you know, Almost all heartworm preventatives also prevent against hookworms and roundworms, which I don't think a lot of people know. Um, but, you know, when you give that monthly pill, um, they also help prevent uh, hookworms and roundworms and other intestinal parasites. And um, this dog was so sick from hookworms. And she was so upset because she said, well, my monthly preventative isn't working. But it was just that the dog was exposed to such a high load of hookworms because the previous owner of her house fostered dogs and had multiple Mm. foster dogs in and out of her house, and they were probably all over her yard, and it was just too much for the preventative to even, you know, Mm. help with. Um, So, yeah, it's it's so important. Um, Even if you're giving, you know, the monthly preventative that's supposed to prevent it, we go to dog parks with our dogs. We go to doggy Mm -hmm. daycares, we go to kennels, we just go walking where, you know, even apartment complexes that have Mm -hmm. a lot of dogs running around in one area. So, um, yeah, remember to bring your poop in with you. (laughs) (laughs) For the vet. Or your dog's poop, not yours. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's really really true. And as we become more a pet-friendly society and we have all these dog parks and we're trying to, you know, let dogs interact and people do daycare and play care, I mean, that prevention is not only can they spread it to each other, but 
again, we can then become sick. My uh, guest I interviewed last week, his actual whole reason for running barefoot marathons across the world, and he has the Guinness Book of World Records for this, was because he walked barefoot on a beach growing up in a different country and acquired a hookworm infestation, was hospitalized because of it. Uh, um, wow. You cannot... For our listeners, I mean, some of those parasites can cause you to go blind. Um, yeah. It really can't can become serious. So um, it's just we. I think we all have a role. the The role of the veterinarian is uh, multifaceted, and and I, I know the human doctor too as well. But um, for our public health side of things, even in a not a third world country, we still face it daily. So well, we're um, actually going to take our last little quick break and we'll be back here um, to finish out our last segment talking with Dr. Han and Dr. Powell. Thank you. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Life. To reach Dr. Brittany King or her guest today, please call into our program at 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or send an email to brittanyking.swimbet at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right. Thanks for joining us for our last segment on The Compassionate Life where we're talking about veterinary medicine. And um, we're going to kind of switch topics and wanted to talk about, um, well, recently I'd come across an article about, uh, not to bring a sad subject into the side of vet med, but um, the potential for a higher suicide rate or mental illness um, within the veterinary profession, which is very real. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the work-life balance because we are so compassion-filled. I mean, most veterinarians who got into vet med, it's because it's not because you're 
making millions of dollars. It's because you're really passionate about what you do, but you have a lot of compassion. Sometimes that it's hard to it's hard to balance your job with your home and your family. And I, you know, I personally just have my you know kind of immediate family and uh, but my dog on a daily basis. But um, both the Dr. Han and Dr. Powell have different family uh, balances. Um, Dr. Powell, if you'd like to start um, how you balance. Um, I mean, I I love to hear. I'm always entertained with the kids, the stories of the kids and what they're up to, but um, how, how do you balance it all? Well, you know, I, I kind of came, came out of the gate uh, in 2001 when I graduated. I started working at Montrose Veterinary Clinic right after graduation, you know, and, and uh, it was an exciting time. Uh, no kids, just got married, you know, working uh, 10 to 12 hour days, four to five days a week. Um, learning a lot. It's a busy clinic, and it was great. And then when I had my daughter in 2005, um, one of the wonderful things about our profession is there, there, there is an opportunity to go part time and still balance. You know, um, you know, picking my kids up from school now that they're school aged, and taking them to volleyball games, and um, but still doing what I love, which is being a veterinarian, you know, I've developed incredible relationships with a lot of my clients over the last 15 years. And, uh, for instance, I had this little yellow lab named Ruby that I saw on my very first day of work. I'll never forget it. June 2nd, 2001, I saw Ruby <laughs> as a yellow lab puppy, first puppy exam. I saw Ruby her entire life until I put her to sleep um, in 2000 probably 13 or 14. It was incredible, you know. Um, and so if I, wa- if I weren't able to do that, I think I would be depressed. But if I weren't able to, um, you know, pick my kids up from school and, and uh, help them with homework and do all those things, it would be awful. So um, it's something that I love about the profession. I really do. About having the part-time. I mean, I think that I think it also speaks volumes too that um, getting becoming a veterinarian it, it is it's difficult. We all went through a difficult path. There's limited numbers of schools. There are limited spots per year of acceptance, and then um, to be able to transition through all of those life phases and being and not just giving up your career, but being able to okay. stay active is, is really, there, there aren't, we are in need of veterinarians. And I think we will be, I mean, cause we have that, just that smaller niche. Um, but being able to balance that is, 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 you know, really important. And Dr. Han, you have, um, I mean, you have a different now aspect of it where you have the mobile clinic. Um, and is that the, do you find that's easier to help with your work-life balance? Yeah, I do. I I think in the beginning, it's harder, right? So starting any new business, you you sort of pour everything you have into it because you want it to be successful. And and then you hope that, you know, the payoff later on is that you'll have greater control and flexibility of your schedule. But um, so I would say initially, you know, it was harder on my family. My husband certainly had to pick up the slack. Um, But now it's getting easier and, and I'm finding that I am able to, um, block off time to um, to take the kids to um, what my son likes to call ninja class, and so we <laughs> have you know I have my block off so that I can get get him and my daughter to ninja class uh, at four forty <laughs> in the afternoon, right? 
Um, and it's tough because a, a veterinarian schedule, it's, it is long hours. You know, typically clinics are open between the hours of 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. And, and 6 p.m. is quite late with kids. I mean, that's like dinner time mm-hmm. um, and, some, mm-hmm. and, and, and encroaching on getting ready for bedtime. Um, and then there's weekend hours, too, typically. So Saturday hours, um, most clinics are open at least part of a day. And so um, um, that does get challenging with a family. So going mobile, I'm able to sort of set my own hours. I um, actually don't have regular weekend hours for my business. Um, and I'm, I'm doing that intentionally um, to purposefully um, set aside time for the family. And, um, and I think that's important if you want um, to be a happy person. I think you've got to have that. Um, happy life at home um, and your happy life at work. And if as soon as one starts to slide, then then the other aspect is inevitably affected. So, um, so definitely, um, I, I think I've made the right move for for a variety of both professional and personal reasons. And um, and it is it is something that I think veterinarians have to stay on top of, which is um, to make sure their their lives are balanced so they can feel. Um, they don't get burned out, and and um, and they can feel you know good at the end of the day. Yeah, I think it's hard for us to say no, um, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, someone brings their you know critically ill patient in at five fifty five. We're going to see it, you know, and we may right. be be stuck there an hour or two late, and so. Um, that's difficult, um, particularly when you have a family, to say no, um, and uh, you really have to learn just to, um, you know, take care of all sides of it. Obviously, you want to take care of your patients and you want to take care of your clients, and we're fortunate enough in Houston to where we have wonderful referral clinics and we have wonderful emergency clinics that are open after hours, and so we mm-hmm. have that option to say, hey... You know, we're closing. You need to go to the emergency clinic. They're going to be better, um, better equipped to handle this, you know, instead of us leaving, you know, leaving to go home. So um, that's fortunate for us, but I think that that's not the case for a lot of veterinarians that live in smaller towns. And I can only imagine the hours that they work after the clinic closes and on the weekends, and, uh, for example. No, that's a really good point. And we do have good relationships with those referral clinics. Um, I don't know how many times we'll call and just consult with them about a case that we're not necessarily sending over for critical purposes, but just to, uh, you know, partner within the profession and and get, you know, help with a case to um, be able to solve it and relieve that some of that pressure and that compassion you feel for that pet that you don't just want to punt um so i think it's you know i think it's really i've been super grateful being at a private clinic there are definitely you know different styles of vet med fit different veterinarians but our clinic has been incredible about um I feel uh, allowing that work-life balance. Um, yeah. Yes, there are, there are crazy days and there are lunches that we you work straight through. But for the most part, um, we partner so well between all of us, trying to let each of us have time off or go away for CE or change things even at the last minute. Um, finding that you know that clinic that allows that's probably why Montrose has been there for so many years too. So. <laughs> yeah. um, 
but it's been it's been good. Um, if each of you had, um, I guess, an inspirational piece of advice to give our listeners, or um, maybe just a pet healthcare knowledgeable uh, nugget, what would wow. each of you say? It's kind of a random question, but <laughs> like to close on that. Um, you know, as a veterinarian, I think you. I think we can all. <laughs> We can all agree that you have people come up to you consistently saying that their kids, you know, their daughter in particular, I have found lately, their daughter wants to be a veterinarian and what kind of advice would I give them? And and I tell them, um, you know, it's not just about loving animals. It's about loving medicine. It's about loving science and health. It's about loving people because you're dealing with the owners. It's in, right. And um, that it's a wonderful profession, particularly for women. Um, because uh, there are so many options out there as far as um, part-time schedules, the relief work, what Tina's doing, what Dr. Hunt's doing, what the mobile practice. Um, and so I tell people, go with it. Go with your heart. But it's not just about loving little kitties and puppies. It's about loving the whole profession. That's perfect. Yeah, I, I I agree with what Dr. Powell says, and I'm um, just to piggyback off of that. Then is just definitely follow your dreams. Um, veterinary medicine is a, a second career for me, so I didn't start off doing this. I was in uh, corporate America for uh, I think the first seven years after I graduated um, college, and it took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. But I um, kind of went back to what what were some of my childhood loves, and it, it led me back into veterinary medicine. So, um, you know, I would say don't be afraid to chase after what you love. Um, it's never too late, um, and um, the hard part is just figuring out what you want to do with your life. And But once, you've, once you have that passion and once you figure out what it is you want to do, um, Follow your you know, dream. Don't let anything stop you. Just just go after it, regardless if you're one of the oldest people in the class. As I right. Um, Follow I had your a dream. Four year old in my class. Yeah. Was, I I that's too. incredible. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. I think <laughs> that. It, I mean that. It, no, that's absolutely true. Same thing in my class. Follow your dream. Well, thank you both um, for taking the time this hour to talk about our profession and just the variety of it. Um, really, really appreciate. I know with busy schedules, as we just finished talking about, it's hard to even take the time, the hour away. But um, you can find Montrose Vet Clinic online. You can find Dr. Hans, my doorstep vet mobile practice for those needs. Um, and we're all in the Houston area and we'll be back this time next week. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a part of the Compassionate Life. Please join Dr. Brittany King again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, how will you leave your compassionate mark on the world? 